So this week, I have the privilege of getting to continue in our Bulletproof series. Uh, This Bulletproof series we have designed specifically for these few weeks to be for the men at Bridge Fellowship. Now, it's targeted for our men, but this message is for everyone. Because chances are, if you're a female in the room, you know a guy. Is that right? Okay, so... It will improve your life as well. And these are things that you get to hear and things that you get to learn about what the Bible says a real man of God is. Before I get into a recap, I want to just kind of do this reminder and this disclaimer. First, the guys that stand up here are not the experts on how to be men of God. What we are is able to read in what Scripture says and try to teach what the Bible says men of God are supposed to be. So what I'm not trying to do is stand up here and tell you guys that I have it all together, because if you know me, you know that I absolutely do not have it all together, not even close. But what we have the ability to do is the same thing I do for my life, is point towards Scripture to see what God says of how I can live my life like a man of God. Disclaimer one. Disclaimer two is this. It's really easy for us as men to hear some of these messages and to be challenged and then to feel like, we are being beaten up, like we're being attacked, like we're uh, extra failure. And if you're leaving church that way today, we're kind of missing the point. So I want to make a distinction really quick. God does this thing called conviction. Satan does this thing called condemnation. And they're very, very different. Conviction is supposed to point out those things in your life that become issues, that become stumbling blocks, that become barriers between you and your relationship with God. And the reason the conviction is there is because it wants you to remove those barriers and move towards God. It's a positive thing. Condemnation changes that sentence and it says, here's the things that are wrong in your life and you'll never be able to change it and this will always define you and it will always be a problem and you'll never be good enough. That's not the message today. That's not the point of Bulletproof. Do not let Satan sneak into your head during these messages and and condemn you, sentence you, to feeling like you're a failure and you'll always be these things and you'll never recover because you miss out on the hope of what it is that God's trying to do in your life. Cool. So, let's recap. Week number one, anybody remember? I'll be impressed. Submit. I heard some of the women speak up first, so that was interesting. (laughs) Looking at their husbands going... So, yeah, we talked about submit and how important it is for a man of God to submit his life to a higher authority. We put this pressure on our shoulders as men sometimes to feel like we have to have it all figured out. Like we got to, from, from A to Z, have every area of our life under control, and if it's not, then we're not succeeding as a man. But the beauty of what the Bible teaches is that when you submit to something that's higher authority than you, when you submit your life to God, God's way better at this life thing than we are. And it takes that pressure off of our shoulders as men because we're able to rely on God providing and taking care of our life in a more perfect way than we can even in our best attempts. Submit. Last week we talked about honor, how a man of God honors and gives priority to the important things in his life. Uh, We basically looked at this and we asked us to examine the areas in our life that might be receiving more honor than they should. And then what can we do to redirect that and pay the attention and put the priority on the things that God's asked for us to do in our lives? Are you placing the honor, are you giving honor to the right things in your life? Which brings us to this week, assess. And don't stare at it too long because you'll misread it and you'll think this message is about something very different uh, than, it, than it actually is. So um, if you didn't see that, maybe you're just holier than I am, but... Um, that made me giggle. So 
We are talking about assessing. And to assess, this is a really cool definition that I found that I really like for this. To assess means a man regularly makes a brutally honest assessment of his life. And, and you look at some of those key words in there. One is regularly. The other is brutally honest. And a lot of us are able to assess our lives at different times. The challenge of this message is, is I, would, I would press that maybe we don't challenge our lives regularly and we're not always brutally honest about where we really are as men of God. And so we're going to tear that apart a little bit this week and look to what God has to say about how we can assess our lives and what we do with it after we assess. So what do you look for when you're trying to do an assessment? There are hundreds of things we could evaluate and go, we're doing this really, really great, or we're doing this really, really terribly. And there may be more in this column or more in this column, but, but it's, hard, it's hard to quantify that and put that into a measurable goal because how do I just get every area of my life? Well, the one thing I want to focus in on today is a word called passivity. And I want to measure the passiveness in our lives as men of God. Are we doing a good job or are we allowing passivity to sneak into those areas that we need to be taking greater control of? None of us I wouldn't think, want to get to the end of our life and have them put on our gravestone, he led a passive life, right? That's just not something in us. It's like, no, we, wanted the, we were amazing this and amazing this and we were great at this and we did this and we accomplished this. The, the way that, it, when, I, when I started thinking about this, the way it makes uh, me feel is it reminds me of being uh, back in sports, and my coaches would evaluate our games. I had some great coaches, and, and this was the greatest evaluation of the game. They said, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, you're going to play some teams that are just better than you, and you're going to get beat. Our greatest evaluation for you on whether or not you succeeded is, can you answer the question, did you leave it all on the field? And they challenged us with that all the time. Did you do everything that you could? Did you give your very best effort? Did you really try to leave all of the energy and all of the athletic plays you can make out on the field? They said, if you can answer yes, if you really did that, then that's a successful game, win or lose. And the cool part about that is, is when you finish the games, especially if you lost, and then you evaluate the game and you go, no, I, I didn't really leave it all out on the field today, that's usually why you lost. The guys that don't quit and the guys that don't give up are usually the ones um, that are able to pull out a win. Are we leaving it all out on the field? Um, a definition of passivity is this to accept or allow what happens or what others do without putting up a fight. And I think that's why it's important because I do feel, me included, we as men have gotten to some areas where we're letting some outside other circumstances take control of our lives instead of fighting for what God wants us to be fighting for. An example of this is one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. It's the first story in the Bible. And I believe that the first sin that we see happen in Scripture is a sin of passivity. Not one of action, one of a lack of action. So we look in Genesis 3, and this is the story of Adam and Eve. And God has built this amazing, perfect garden. And he set up the situation where Adam and Eve are able to live in perfect unity together and with God. It's the perfect marriage. It's the perfect life. There's no pain, guilt, shame, hurt, anything. And God lays out a rule and he says, don't eat out of this tree. That's the only rule. <laughs> Enjoy everything else that I've made, but don't eat out of this. 
And we pick up in the story and we see that uh, along the way, Satan had worked his way into the garden and he desired to split God from man. And that's his goal continually, in case you guys wonder. His job is to try to split man from God. And he shows up in the garden, he approaches Eve, and he says this in verse 3, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit from any tree in the garden, but about the fruit in the middle of the garden, we cannot eat it or touch it, or you will die. And this is where we pick up in verse 4, it says this, Satan responds, no, you will not die. The serpent said to the woman, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. What we get out of this is we know that God told Adam, don't do this. He gave a very clear instruction of how to live his life in the garden. And we know by Eve's interaction with the serpent that at some point Adam told Eve because she knew the same statement that God had told Adam. And so Eve knew right and wrong as well. And so you go, well, Adam must just have been busy and Eve made a mistake. She made a mistake and that's her fault and she made the decision and and Adam just wasn't around to be able. And then we read this next verse. (laughs) It says this, so she took some of its fruit and she ate it and she gave also, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And we see this rift form between God and man because what happens is, is the death that God was talking about was not a physical death. It wasn't a heart-stopping kind of death. It was a separation from God kind of death. If God is the source of life and light and hope and joy, then creating sin and bringing that into that and creating that rift between God is the absence of those things, and that's the death that God was talking about. And so with all of that at stake, with only one rule to follow, Adam stands by his wife, lets her make a terrible decision, and then just follows along the same path. That's the first time we see passivity in manhood. It's the first sin, and it's the greatest rift that echoes out through the rest of our time that's happened between man and God. And it happened in a moment of lack of action. It says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. And they started in that moment hiding from God. And I think that's one of the the traits of passivity is we start to hide from God because we don't want to assess what our life is really like. Guys, this is a hard statement to swallow, but I believe it to be a true statement. And again, I want to highlight, I don't want this to be a condemning statement. If anything, this is a convicting statement. This is to challenge us to be greater. But I believe this. Nothing brings hell to earth faster than a passive, whiny man who blames everyone and everything for his lack of responsibility. And we'll let that sink in because I'm not scared of it because I know it doesn't define my life, but that's a reality. When I choose this, when I choose to be passive and I, I stray away from action and I choose to just complain about my situations in life and I'm quick to point the finger, which coincidentally enough, Adam does later in the story when God goes, Adam, why did you do that? Adam points at Eve and said, well, she made me do it. 
That's a passive man. That's a whiny man passing blame instead of saying, you're right, God, I was there and I should have taken the opportunity to love my wife and love you better than that. And instead I was passive and instead I missed the mark. But he doesn't do that. He passes the blame. Nothing brings hell to earth faster than passive whiny men who blame everyone and everything for their lack of responsibility. All right, deep breath, guys. We're going to pick it up from here. I think I've made the point, right? Some of us, well, let's make this statement first. I'm going to continue off of a man regularly assesses brutally honest statement. With a man regularly makes a brutally honest assessment of his life with the goal of aggressively seeking and destroying passivity where it may be. And that's one of the really interesting things about being in church and being able to hear some of the teachings and, and, and reading scripture is you get to learn some of these things. And men, I know the same way I know that I am, I'm convicted often. I take those assessments while I'm sitting and I'm listening to those messages and I let them kind of sink in and I'm convicted often that I'm not living my life the way that I should. But then it kind of stops there and I kind of forget about it through the week and I wait till I show up again on Sunday and then I kind of get convicted again. And I get stuck in this process of just repeating this conviction and repeating this assessment but never really doing anything about it. And then I look back and I wonder why, why, why my life doesn't look the way that I'd like it to. And that's hard for me to take because I fall in that category too. That's a hard pattern to be in. It's a, it's a depressing pattern to be in. And so the step we have to take after assessing this is aggressively seeking and destroying passivity wherever it may be in our life. It takes the heart, it takes the assessment, it takes the heart change, but it also takes the action. God did not design us to be passive men. And somewhere along in this culture that's been created today, they, they've tried to convince us that that's what we're supposed to be. And somewhere along in this culture today, that's the picture they've painted of Jesus, that he was this floating Swedish, long hair, blue-eyed peace guy that went around handing flowers to children and playing with little lambs and that's not an accurate description of who Jesus is and he didn't make his men to be that way either so why are we passive why do we do that why do we make those decisions why do we model that Swedish Jesus lifestyle instead of aggressively attacking the things in our life that we need to honestly we just get distracted because, you see, you being not passive, let me think of a better way to say that. Because you're not designed to be passive, you don't have to be something else. You're supposed to be exactly who you're created to be. And so it's not trying harder or being better or trying to be the not passive person. It's just getting rid of the passive traits in your life so that you can be exactly who God made you to be, exactly who you are. Sometimes we just get distracted and forget that. And the reality is we get caught up in all kinds of things that don't matter that consume our day-to-day. -day. We spend hours on social media. I think, frankly, if we admitted a lot of times how many dumb videos we watch for how many hours during the week, we'd probably be a little embarrassed if people could track that, right? How many fail videos and slipping downstairs and falling on ice do we need to see in our week? But it consumes hours of it, if we're honest. Fantasy football. This one hit home. I hated writing this down. Hated it. I will spend hours checking a lineup, checking injuries, checking the reports, consuming my life with knowing what's going on with each individual team across multiple teams in different leagues. 
It's distracting. Sundays and Mondays and Thursdays with hours of games, sometimes about teams we don't even really care about because it's something to do, it's something to watch, and it's distracting. And listen, what I'm not trying to do is take all the fun out of it. That's not the point. All of those things are good things. All of those things are great. I've, I've created some of my greatest memories being a part of these things with other guys and, and building friendships with it. But when this becomes the focus and the priority of our time and our life, the other things begin to atrophy. When we spend more time on fantasy football and make sure that we're winning in our league instead of making sure that we're winning in our marriages and our friendships and our relationship with God, our life starts to fall apart a little bit. And so many times, instead of focusing on the right problem and aggressively attacking the passivity, we fall back into the blame and the circumstance and the context of of where our failure is and we just bury deeper into it and we distract ourselves with more things. And we sign up for an extra ESPN channel and we sign up for another league and we get into the, and it's just distracting. When we spend most of our time on just good stuff, we can't be upset when we're missing out on the best things. So what are the best things? Love, peace, acceptance, fulfillment, purpose, hope. Anybody want some more of that in their life? You can raise your hand. For real, right? None of us would turn that down. All of us could use some more of those things in our life. And let's be honest, not to continue on fantasy football, that's just the one that hit home this week. Not a lot of hope in my fantasy season this week. (laughs) Not a lot of love and affirmation all right? Those things can only be found in a relationship with God. And if we're not spending that time trying to develop that relationship, we're going to miss the mark every time. So how do we get there? 1 Timothy 4.7 says this, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. What they're talking about in Timothy is that letter's being written. They're writing to this church saying, listen, we know all kinds of people are starting to go around. And they started as believers. They started as God followers. But now they've, they've added in some things that aren't of God. And they've created some new teachings. And they've created some new priorities. And they've tried to underline some things in life that are more important than they should be. And we don't want you to become consumed with those things because they're not the God things and you're going to miss out on the God things because you're following what these people have created and added to the list. Don't follow those myths. But instead, what? Train yourself for godliness. The, a, a great definition for this word, and, and the Greek word that used, is used here is the same word that we get our word gym from or gymnasium. But I love this definition. Training is intentionally making your life harder for the purpose of making yourself better. And and, and Paul even knows this in Timothy as he's writing in verse 8. He says, he, he continues with this, rather train yourself for godliness because the training of the body has limited benefit. It's got benefit, but it's limited. But godliness is beneficial in every way since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And then to underline that in verse 9, he says, in case you're doubting, let me underline this, 
This saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance. In fact, we labor and strive for this because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of everyone, especially those who believe. And I think we can relate to that, and, and I love that analogy with Paul. It's something we can all connect to. We all know that there's benefit in physical training. Colorado, for sure. Colorado is like one of the healthiest, still probably, I think, the healthiest state in the nation. There's a massive following of this idea of training your body. And we all kind of get consumed with that. And we look in the mirror and we see things that we go, yeah, I don't like that about myself. I wish I could change that. I don't like the way this part of my body looks. I wish I could change that. And, you know, guys, I wish that beer gut was a little smaller. And we assess those things about our body. And then if we get serious about it, we make a decision and we go start training. But none of us would say that training your body and working out is easier than not training and not working out your body, right? That's why most people choose not working out and not training, because it's, it's easier. And that's just the way that it is. It's easy to fall into that. Why would we pick up heavy things if we didn't have to? Why would we run if we're not being chased by something? Have you guys ever seen CrossFit? Why do, they, why do they do that? They're making their life so much harder than it has to be. But they're doing it to train their body and improve it in the way that they need to, or the way that they want to anyway. If we're not willing to put in the work and we're not willing to make our life harder so that we can gain from it, we can't complain. I don't care if you go to the gym or not. I just don't want to hear about how you're mad you don't have a six-pack. They're connected. That has limited benefit. The same is true, though. If you want to complain about your spiritual life, men, we have to assess what we're doing about it. I don't want to complain. I don't want to hear it about how we're we're. we're not being able to connect to God and we just don't feel like we're close to him and we don't know how to lead our family. We don't know if the response is, yeah, and I also never pray and I never read my Bible and I never spend time trying to apply the things that I learn in church and I haven't really let the truth that God has lived out change my life. They have to go together. They have to go together and it's the only way to get there. And guess what? It does make life harder. Living the way God has asked us to and committing to those things does make life harder, but it makes it better. I had this friend that, that I'm, I'm, I'm working through. I, I want the guy to know Jesus so bad, and he's just not there yet. But his excuse is this. He says, listen, if God was real, all these bad things wouldn't be happening in my life. If God was real, eventually I'd catch a break, and I wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. And my response to him was, man, I get why you say that and that breaks my heart, but listen, that's not why I believe in God. God is not the, the, the magical grandmother fairy that brings me things when I'm good. The reason I believe in God is because he gets me through the hard times. The reason I believe in God is because every time I'm in the very bottom of the pit in my life, that's the only thing that I know how to hold on to to get back out of it. I don't believe in God because he brings me good things. I believe in God because he helps me survive this life. And if that's not worth holding on to, and if that's not worth training our lives for, then what are we doing? And it's why we get into those dark seasons and we feel like everything just explodes and we can't find our way out of the pit. 
because we haven't been training ourselves and we haven't been focusing and we haven't been regularly assessing and brutally attacking the passivity in our lives as men. Maybe, and I know this is true, I know this is true, some of us in this room are going through hell right now. It sucks, and we hate it, and we don't know how to get out, and we don't know how to see the end of it. And maybe you've tried reading all the books and going to all the classes and listening to all the podcasts, and it's just not connecting with you. Guys, sometimes life is hard, and it's going to be hard, and there's going to be other hard things that happen, but let me challenge you with that. If that's where your life is and you don't feel like you can climb out of the pit, what are you doing to connect with God in your spiritual life? And maybe we should start there. Maybe it's not try harder at work. Maybe it's not buy more things. Maybe it's not try, maybe the solution we're looking for is to discipline ourselves and to grow up a little bit and to make the important things the important things. So how do we train? Like I said earlier, kind of step one, being here is a great, great thing. Being in a room with a bunch of people that are all, all messy and all broken and, and listening to guys that are messy and broken and we're all trying to figure this out together, that's a great step because it helps us assess. One of the most powerful things about that men, uh, the, the man camp out we did this weekend is we took some time to get in a circle and we all shared at least one thing that was just wrecking our life right now. And I don't think there's a man that went to that that wouldn't say that was beneficial because what we did is we looked across the circle and we saw a bunch of other men that had similar stories just like us and were struggling just like us, but it didn't end there. We're able to pray for each other and encourage each other and support each other. We're able to set up meetings for the weeks to come so that we can check in on each other. It's a powerful thing. Being here is a good start to training, but it can't stop here. It can't just be about Sunday. I have three things that I really want to press on us and make it super applicable. Number one, we need to spend time in prayer. There's no way around it. I'm not saying you got to spend hours every day. That's, that's between you and God, but you got to make an emphasis on prayer. We have to do that. When I am not in prayer, my life is worse than when I am. And it's not a circumstantial thing. Internally, when I'm not in prayer, my life is worse than when I am. Men, we have to step up. We have to assess our prayer lives. And we have to decide if we're holding on to some things and some time in our life that we could let go of and give to God. And I'm going to make the statement after all of these things. But if you need help with prayer, that's what we're here for. Come talk to us. Come get my number. Let's go pray together. Come talk to our elders. They'll pray with you. Come grab Steve. We want to help that, but we got to make a commitment to prayer in our life. It's got to be important. Number two, men, we need to read our Bible. It's that practical. We need to read it. We're not going to be able to learn these things if we're not trying to connect with God through the teachings that he's given us. All... <laughs> So many circumstances in life we get to where we're just beating our head on the wall going, I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say and I don't know how to act and I don't know how to feel. And God did this really crazy thing for mankind where he kind of wrote it down. And it's just sitting there. And we won't know it if we don't read it. And the only reason we're not reading it is because we're passive and distracted. And if we were serious about our spiritual lives and serious about becoming the men of God, that we'll, then we're going to pick it up. And we're going to try to read it. And if you need help reading it, come talk to us. 
people hire personal trainers all around the world, all the time, every day, so they can help to learn out how to work out better, how to get bigger guns. And if that's of limited benefit, how much more important is it that we find people and surround ourselves with people that can help us be better at our spiritual life? That's not a shameful thing. That's a man thing. Real men are able to ask for help. That was for free. (laughs) I may have heard that a few times in my life. Third thing. We need to put practice to the things that Jesus teaches. We need to pray so we can get to know God better, build our relationship with him. We need to read our Bible so we know what our lives are supposed to look like as men of God. And then we need to do it. And the difference between the doing it and the knowing it is being a passive man or not. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 is this. And I don't think it's on the screen, so you just have to listen to me. I don't know. Is it, Liz? No, okay. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? And Jesus responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And then he adds, they didn't ask for it, he put it in there. (laughs) The second is like it. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. All the law and all the prophets depend on these two commands. So the easiest way to summarize in the same way, instead of evaluating every area of our life, maybe how do we be a better man, will we evaluate passivity in our life? How do we evaluate if we're living out the life that God has asked us to? And it's, it's an easy test, guys. Look at your life, look at your day-to-day, and imagine if a stranger was following you around, would they say that your time and your energy and your speech and your actions reflect a life that loves God and loves people or doesn't? And again, that's not condemnation, that's conviction, because if it doesn't, you can change that. God has made you to be a man who loves him and loves people. He's made you to do that. You don't have to be someone else. You need to be exactly who you are. You just need to get rid of some stuff that's gotten away and clouded things up. We have to live our lives in a way that the people around us can, not, not to be fake, not to do it so that people will notice, but if people can't see your life and notice that you're different, that's a good assessment that maybe some more things need to, to become a bigger priority in your life, in all of our lives. Men, you are called to be leaders, warriors. You are called to bravely and courageously and honorably do things to build the kingdom of God. We are called to be difference makers here and into eternity. That's the standard that God has for his men. And he's equipped you to do it. We just got to grow up and start doing it. And we'll do it together. I want to end with this. It's probably the best and and most relieving part of the whole message. So if you're still letting that weigh heavy on you, let's really focus on on the, the hope that can come from Jesus. 
Because if you're feeling that conviction, that's fine, but don't let Satan steal that from you. Don't let him turn that into condemnation and beat you up about how your spiritual life is. That's not how God sees you. He's not shaking his finger at you. He's not arms folded and scowling at you. He's begging for you to start this and enjoy the things that he's given you. He's begging, just like a great dad. Okay, so this is maybe my favorite analogy, but a dad who's passionate about football is waiting for that moment for his son to get old enough to pick up that ball and start throwing it to him. That's God. That's his exact mannerisms towards us, man. He's just waiting for us to pick up the scripture and and to to pick up time of prayer and to connect with him because he knows it's the most beneficial and amazing thing we can have in life. But I want to take the pressure off of us a little bit. The the reason I think is men, and and band, you guys can come back up and we're going to end with this. The reason I think so many of us are so dissatisfied with our lives the reason so many of us struggle so much is because we've been made to feel like we're not good enough and we're desperately trying to find pockets in life where we can feel like we're good enough. And and when we get caught up in that passivity, what happens is we see that maybe we're not good enough at this, so we're just not gonna be good at that. We're gonna try this. And when we're not good enough at that and that doesn't fill us and it doesn't give us hope and it doesn't give us purpose, we pass that along and we start something else. And then we start something else and we start something else and we create this pattern of of seeking out this, this fulfillment as a man in all of these areas that can't give you fulfillment. Win your fantasy league eight years in a row, doesn't matter. It's not gonna get you through those seasons that you need to be able to get through as a man. It's not gonna help you lead your family as you need to as a man. It's not gonna let you become the man of God that he's designed you to be and make the difference for the kingdom that he's designed you to make. The biblical word for that desire to be good enough is called justification. And that's literally what it means. Are we good enough? Are we good enough for God? And we look to be justified by our family and we look to be justified by our friends and by our job and by our hobbies and by our passions. And when they let us down, our conclusion is, well, we're just not good enough. So I might as well resign to being a passive man because that's just who I am. Romans 5.18 says this. Consequently, just as a result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. What he's saying there, just because Adam sinned and created that first act of passivity, it condemned men to sin. It condemned men to passivity. But just like Adam condemned men to sin, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. And when Jesus came and when Jesus died and when Jesus rose again, what he did was he provided an opportunity for us as men to break the cycle of Adam and condemnation and passivity and to become the warrior men were designed and created to be. For just, as, for just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, because of what Jesus did, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That peace and that good enough, that justification we're looking for, man, you already got it. God's already said it. I love you just the way you are. I created you just the way you are. You're good enough just the way you are. 
I just want you to point your life back towards me. You don't have to be somebody different. I made you to be the leader. You are exactly the way you are. I just need you to point your life back towards me so I can continue to grow you and to equip you and to power you to do the hard things you have to do as a man of God. Be encouraged, man. You're good enough. Not because you're strong, not because you failed or not failed. You're good enough because Jesus loves you a whole freaking lot. And he wants you to succeed. And he's for you. And he's set up all of these things to support you and encourage you and to equip you to help you be the man of God. So let's back away from passivity. Let's put that to the side. Let's link arms together. It's what the bridge is created for, for us as a messy, broken people, men and women, children alike, to link arms and do this life together. Men, let's step up. Let's put passivity to death. Let's embrace the life that God has for us and let's be the men that will change this church, change your families, change this nation. Starts with making the decision to act. Let's pray. God, it is such an amazing message to me that I am justified. Lord, you are not waiting on me to figure out this new plan, this new secret to success that helps me to be the man of God. You've laid it out there for me and you've made it clear. God, your desire for me is to put to death the passivity in my life to examine and assess the distractions that have taken over and taken away from you. And God, to bring those things out and to lay them at your feet and to say, God, those are just, that's, that's just good stuff. But God, what I want is to be closer to you and what I want is to be the man of God that you've created me to be and what I want is to be the man of God that my family needs me to be and what I want is to be the leader and the warrior and the difference maker that the church needs today. That's who you've created us to be, God, and it's time that we take up that responsibility and we stop blaming people and we stop pointing at our circumstances and we say, God, as long as I know that you're behind me, I will live the rest of my life fighting moment by moment to get rid of passivity and to love you and to love your people the very best that I can because that's all you've asked. God, there's no amount of perfectness that I can bring to you that will take care of my life any better than you just being perfect. God, let me embrace and be proud of the life that you called me to live as a man of God. Father, I pray that the truth in this seeks into every heart that's in the room. Lord, we all have areas of passivity that we need to get rid of, and we need to ask the questions of what needs to be more important. And it all starts with where our heart is with you. Lord, thank you for taking the pressure off of my shoulders this morning that I don't have to be perfect. I just have to love you. Lord, let us commit to doing that together. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your son. Thank you that you're good enough where I'm not.